Kia ora, I'm Alicia Wilson-Hetty from Te Taumata Tuia Ibi, Auckland's Regional Arts Trust. You're listening to Creative Capital, a podcast about advocacy and systems change. We're exploring the role that arts, creativity and culture play in Tamaki Makoto, with a focus on the people behind the work and their vision for the future. We hope these conversations are a simple way for us to come together as advocates and artists to navigate 2023 and beyond. This week, we're joined by Kat Rooker and Dominic Coey, key figures in the recently formed grassroots advocacy moment, DAM, Dignity and Money Now. Kat Rooker is the executive director of Auckland's Basement Theatre. She has also worked as a choreographer, educator, artist mentor, and as artistic director for Tempo Dance Festival. Dominic Coley is a poet, author, and playwright based in Auckland. And I will be facilitating a conversation around artist-led activism and the importance of that and their co-papa Dam. So I will get Kat to introduce yourself, please. Sure. Kia ora koutou, ko Kat Ruka tōko ingoa. Uh, he uri ahau no hokianga whakapau karakia, uh, ko Ngāpuhi, ko Waitaha, ko Ngaiterangi o ko Iwi. Uh, my name is Kat, kia ora koutou. Uh, Kanui te mihi ki ngā mana whenua o te rohe nei, ngā te whātua ki o rākei tēnā koutou. Um, I am the executive director of Basement Theatre. I'm also, along with Dom, one of the founders of DAM, which is a new kind of artist activist group. Um, I am an artist as well, currently not practising so that I can focus on affeing others. Um, but yeah, background in dance, choreography and performance. Beautiful. Thank you, Kat. Uh, Dom, could I get you to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, sure. Uh, kia ora, um Ko Dominikaui tōku ingoa, um, no tāmaki, ahau. Um, yeah, um, uh, I always struggle to sum up all the things I do, but I'm a novelist, um, a youth worker, um, poet, um, dog owner. You might be able to hear the dog, he's just below me. Um, yeah, and yeah, along with Kat, um, we started DAM and try to do activist stuff, even if that's just in my creative mahi. Just always pushing back against all the bullshit. Yes, yeah, yay, love that. Um, so yeah, I have been reflecting on, I guess, all the challenges that our sector and our community were having pre-COVID, which were obviously um, kind of pushed to the brink, I think, during COVID, and mm. as we are continuing to navigate that because it hasn't gone anywhere it's still Mm. very much there and it requires our communities to respond to that and keep themselves safe and others safe and what does that look like and I think one of the first things that I think would be really great to understand um, as the people arriving at this podcast is what what was the catalyst for DAM? It happened during COVID in those kind of August, September 2021 lockdowns. Mm. Um, as you said, all of the the mamai and the hara was sort of coming to the surface for our communities because we were all of a sudden uh, disconnected from each other. All of a sudden, a lot of our whānau, our artist whānau, were without jobs, without putia. Um, so it was all sort of coming to the surface and it was a very potent time. And Dom and I just got in touch and we were just kind of like, 
what can we do? It's kind of the time is really urgent. Um, We have to kind of move from this space of knowing that things need to change to creating it and kind of being futurists about it, of not just being critical, but also imagining a future for ourselves. Um, And as somebody who's kind of been in an arts management space like yourself um, in that kind of sector leadership space, what's very absent is just the artist voice and the advocacy that happens. And so Dom and I were just kind of like, okay, what can we do to kind of create a platform for other artists to kind of grow their activism skills and grow their advocacy for themselves? Because it's kind of like nothing about us without us you know like we really very much have to uh not just be involved in the kaupapa not just be research subjects um and be mined for our knowledge but to also take a leadership seat yeah yeah and i think it was around the time mch had come out with that fund that no one could access (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i remember seeing people who i know are like quite educated and quite successful not being able to access that and i was like well what's hope is there for people who a neurodivergent like myself to get that money. Do you know what I mean? And, and it's almost like as someone who's been complaining to various government bodies that they're completely inaccessible for decades, it's like you know what you're doing on some level. Do you know what I mean? It's not like just an accident that you do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does feel, well, it is by design, isn't it, often that those um, barriers, I suppose, are put there and how do we start to strip the system away from those barriers like what does it mean to remove them and what does true co-design look like when it is artist-led which is something I've been reflecting on a lot during COVID and even pre-COVID you know like I think our sector specifically runs on like this gig economy that didn't work out prior to COVID and then during this pandemic has been really really challenging I think for artists because you're having to figure out What does it mean to practice in this environment and how do I pivot? And um, as a practitioner myself, that's something that I found really challenging during the last few years is having an idea and then having to pivot not once but like seven times and then having to then pivot some more, which I think has been really challenging. So what do you think in terms of um, those barriers what are some of the solutions do you think of how we remove them and artists' voices being at the centre of what it means to design something using imagination cat? Because I often think that's something that is missing fundamentally because I think our um, the culture which we currently sit within and have to navigate as artists and as people is a real scarcity landscape and so how do we move away from that into a more abundant landscape using imagination I think with artists at the center what do you think some of the or what are you hearing from the artists that you're engaging with they think some of the solutions could potentially be I think just um, on a really basic level just funding that is accessible yeah do you know what I mean and it's just like even if it's just small pots of money that's just really easy to get because you know what it's like, especially when you're starting out, you know, like, you're just like, man, if I could just get a couple of grand even, you know what I mean, that would just really make the difference. And I think, yeah, supporting people in those early stages. And then I think at the other end of that, 
is having people on the ground in these government organisations, if, if they're going to continue to use those, like I personally think getting rid of them would probably be a good thing, but in yeah. the interim, you know, having people on the ground who actually know what's going on, because that, so that, you know, the people that are the rangatira in the communities, the people that are the, you know, the stars, the people that are stalwarts that have actually built these communities, they know who those people are and those people are supported too. Yeah. Because I think that's a real issue too, you know, just people overlooked all the time and other people funded who maybe wouldn't be if, if you know, they did have people on the ground. Yeah, yeah. I would totally agree with that. I think it all starts with the putia and the way that it gets distributed because when we have that... Uh, you know, economic backing, then we can be imaginative safely without mm. burning ourselves out. Um, and yeah, I always just kind of go back to what are the what are the models and how can we look to, for example, indigenous frameworks um, to rethink the way that we get the pusia out. Um, and from there, I think once once that's shifted and is purpose fit for the needs of our artist communities, then we can get together as creatives and build the tables that we want to sit around um, and create the environments that we want to be able to imagine the future that we need. In terms of what that future looks like, um, I don't think that we are yet... We don't have the tools yet, I don't think. We're, yeah. we're just about there. Um, but to be able to be like, this is what it's going to look like um, because we haven't had the putia to sit down, you know. And, and Oh, totally. Yeah. I totally hear what you're saying. And I think it's really hard to, um, like, actually lift your gaze of where you're looking and why you're looking there mm. if you're just in the grind. Mm. And totally. I think that's one of the big challenges that our artists have is because you're having to just like be on that graft totally. and grind, it does stop you from being able to go, well, if I look up and out, what is the potential of alternative modes of doing and what does that look like and how do we get there? Yeah, And also our alternative modes sit in what the creatives are making. Like when I read a poem that Dom has written, the answers are right there. Or if I see a work that one of our friends have, has, has created, um, it's all there. We're already imagining the futures, but we just need to kind of put artists, blah, 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 and at the, at the, you know, in the leadership roles to be able to make yeah, the calls. So what I'm hearing <laughs> is both of you saying infiltrate. Yes. I yes, love it. Yes, I think yes. that's what our people, are, our artists are very good at doing that, of going, where can I wiggle my way in and how can I take my community with me? Which is, I think, what our artists do beautifully is it's never just about the individual practitioner. It's always about how can I take my people with me mm. into all of these totally, rooms. Totally. And I think something, just picking up on something you've both kind of touched on around and this is something that you and I have had many conversations about, Dom, um, which is missing, I think, from these conversations around resource and how they get distributed properly, is a very transparent conversation around class. I think we don't speak about class in our sector in a way that could be quite transformative because class, as you both know, and I'm preaching to the choir when I say this, it crosses all of those racial lines, doesn't matter what gender you are, no resources, no resource, and no access to resources, no access to resource. So how do we start to shift the conversation to go, have you considered 
class because often that is missing from the conversation? And how have you seen that? And how has that kind of bubbled to the surface in the work that you are both doing? I think the thing with class is like, because not just with what we're doing with Dan, but in other things that I've done, you know, I, like, like you're saying, you always try and bring everyone with you. But what I've found is like a lot of people that I came up with, um, you know, because when you're, when you're poor and you're uneducated and you have all that trauma from that, it's really hard to get people to engage. And oftentimes they feel that spaces that are actually totally for them and are totally safe aren't. Yeah, hard. And so the problem is, and I think this is what fucks us up a lot as artists and as an arts community, is that we're trying to bring these people with us. And, and, I, and I'm one of those people, you know what I mean? I have been in the past. And, and, and it's slow and it takes a long time. And whereas, you know, if you're not doing that, if you're just totally focused on a like, capitalist model, you can be really quick and fast, do you know what I mean? And I think that's... Yeah, that's something that we've dealt with. Eh? We've tried to bring in a few people totally. and they've just been like, nah, totally. not for us. They don't even get it. Yeah. yeah. And we're like, no, it is for you. This is, you know, like I mean, yeah. one of my friends, I won't say his name because, you know, it's, this is his story, but he is quite a successful artist and he was he was rolling his eyes at the idea that he that he should get CNZ money or that anyone in his community should get CNZ money. And I was like, but this is all this money and these people are getting it. Why should you not get it? You know what I mean? You're, you're broke. You've got kids. So it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this up because it's always kind of glossed over, I think. And I think there is a really troubling class divide in our sector. Yeah. Um, and I think you, I'm, I'm guilty of not examining this deeply enough at, in the mahi that I do at Basement Theatre. And it kind of becomes, you find yourself doing creating yeah trying to create spaces that you feel like you're removing barriers but actually you're not doing enough work so um and I think again it comes down to the funding models mm. because they're not accessible for everybody um and we are losing incredibly gifted talented artists whose stories will never be told and therefore we're kind of perpetuating that divide so just middle class work is getting made constantly yeah and therefore kind of our art has the danger of becoming uh what's the word have, having a veneer over it if yeah. that makes mm. any sense yeah no it does make sense i think one of our um, young comedians that have come out of South Auckland, Baba, I really yeah. love Bo Baba's model of doing and making. And I was um, really lucky to go and actually experience her stand-up show that she did in her backyard in South Auckland. It was a Gold Queen donation. And it was packed. There was, I would say, probably a few hundred people in this backyard in Mangere, Because I often think the conversation that gets had in a funding capacity is, oh, but who is the audience? Like, where, where is your proof that you have this audience? And I reject that because there is the audience. It's just that there's so many barriers. How do you actually start to strip those barriers away where it's like when you're talking about accessibility, oh, th that is a really layered conversation too when we're thinking about what is accessibility? Because often I think what happens um, within our institutions and our arts organisations and our sector is it's seen from like a very elementary point of view where 
the access conversation is um, centred around our disabled whānau and not to be reductive of that because that is a vital conversation too, but then thinking about, well, when we're speaking to access and we're thinking about class, is there is that being presented in your ticket set, like your ticket price? Is there a tiered ticket approach? Like, are you building it into your frameworks around, well, if money is the barrier for these communities to access this, how do we start to be more considered in starting to remove that? And where does the responsibility lie? Because... For me and my thinking, I think it does sit with funders to go, well, if you're expecting people to do this on this kind of budget, are you considering these access points and what does that look like and how do you embed those into the the modes of doing, I think? I guarantee you they're not thinking about that at all. No. Like, like it's not even... Like, because the times I've brought up class to either MCH or CNZ, they just look at you like you're insane. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Do you know? And um, to be fair to them, though, the last time I had a meeting with them, they did actually, I could tell that they sort of took it in a bit. It was the yeah. first time I'd had that experience, and I've met with them maybe over half a dozen times. Um, just sort of explaining the fact that, you know, I personally can't do your um, application, so I have to get someone else to do the application. But if you keep rejecting it, then the person's going to be like, bro, I don't want to keep doing this for you because you're not getting the money. And do you know what I mean? And True. they were just like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> and just like, <laughs> yeah, of course you haven't, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, but I think as well, like, is that it, it is about money, right? Because, you know, you're saying that, like, you can't do everything with this tiny bit of money, it, you know, not, not to sort of let people off the hook necessarily, but there's only so much you can do yeah. with money and, you know... Um, and you remember that night at the basement that we had where you gave away, when I did my show and you gave away 50 tickets and then so I just got everyone to come who wouldn't normally come and I was like ringing people and thing. And then it was just the most incredible night and it was a total pain in the ass because, you know, you don't want to be like dragging your useless mates out when you're in the middle of rehearsal. But it was worth it, eh? It was like the best show of the totally. whole thing. And you're like, oh my God, like there would be a way to have this all the time if we had the money and the resource, you know? Totally. Yeah, I think when it comes to, um, you know, a lot of those buzzwords that funders like to use around diversity and social inclusion and the tick, 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 if there was a bit more investigation into, well, what does that actually mean when you're wanting to engage with communities who would otherwise not have access for whatever reason, if you're being more considered around well, we do want to actually have a more diverse audience. So what does audience development look like as funders? Mm. And where does that sit? Because I think often, and I say this from, you know, um, my own kind of career path, is when you go, oh, but I programmed that vital voice or that diversity voice, and then there, where was their audience? They didn't come. And it's like, well... The responsibility shouldn't sit with artists, and I think often it does sit with artists and it should sit somewhere else. So then what do the frameworks around that potentially look like and how do we get people to understand there needs to be support there too? Like it can't just sit with the artist, the role of the artist totally. is to make the art. Totally. We've been putting way too much responsibility on our artists and programmers too to a certain degree to kind of fulfill our diversity needs mm. yeah. um, but I, I love the idea of actually 
the accessibility kopapa actually being woven into the systems or those you know the things higher upstream which we were taught about in that yeah. advocacy masterclass that we took of um, investing in a large scale in accessibility being woven into the systems and not being placed on the artists to have to achieve. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just kind of decorational, you know? Well, it sits pretty performatively, doesn't it? Exactly. If it's not embedded into the thing that you're actually doing. Hard out. So what, I guess, thinking about all of that, what is the intention, do you think, for DAM? What is the role of DAM in these conversations, do you think? Um, I think just having artists actually saying, no, that's enough, and, and being quite staunch about it. Yeah. Because I think that, you know, in the past, that various groups and some of them I've been involved with, we've tried to sort of play the game, we've tried to be polite and nice, and they've just ignored us, you know what I mean? And yeah. I think... Something I've been thinking about a lot, and I haven't really figured out how to phrase this, is I think that as artists, we need to understand that the general public and a lot of people involved in the high up in the arts administration and stuff don't like artists, you know? And I think that a lot of the way that we've been approaching it is like they do, and they just don't. They think that we should get jobs, they think we should stop complaining, that we're pain in the ass, you know, if you try and deal with an artist, they won't email you back on time and they're lazy <laughs> and useless. And I think that we can't expect to fight for change if we're not acknowledging that do you know what I mean I do know what you mean because I have worked in a multiple arts organizations now and I have always been really struck or I found it quite jarring the deep level of mistrust yeah. I think of artists and Total. that real scarcity um position to like I don't know I found it odd that it's like you you're an arts organization and you <laughs> don't trust the you artists. don't trust artists mm. how cookerude is that mm. I mean artists are a pain in the ass but if you want to be involved <laughs> with the arts you know you gotta deal with them so <laughs> yeah well I suppose because there is such a um scarcity culture in our sector for a multitude of reasons it does harbour environments of mistrust and I don't know how we start to undo that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's massive, eh? Scarcity mindset. And again, it comes back to Putia for me. It just comes back to resource. And I don't, I'm not interested in kind of directing that attention towards CNZ anymore. Mm -hmm. I was when I was an artist because I was feeling the resistance. Yeah. You know, and that was the only kind of funding body that I was engaging with at the time. But now I think my work personally is around government. Yeah. And also the, the public. Like so, so, so recreating and redesigning the stories that we tell about our artists out to the public because it's the public who have an influence on government. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so going back to what Dam is kind of up to and interested in is creative, interesting ways of um, getting the public to think about artists in a new way. But yeah. we don't want to do that in a dry balls way. We want to be yeah. kind of creative and spunky about it because that's who we are. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so that's kind of... And also, too, um, there's a lot of marmai and mental health issues in our artist communities because of how wronged they have been yeah. and not listened to, actually. That's the real that's the real hard one, yeah, just th- not being heard. Yeah, I think that's something I've been um, investigating in this work, which is, you know, centres a lot of advocacy work mm. um, in relationship with sector. And, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir when I say this to you both, but I, I think our artists and their their gifts are often a vehicle for for really good outcomes and impact on, on the general public's mental health. But what are we doing to harbour environments for artists to be well and more considered, considering that more in how we hold space for artists because we we all know the impacts that our artists have on the well-being of our wider communities and what that looks like. Um, and so how is that then embedded into how we hold space for artists and the pastoral care around, well, how do we keep you well? And once again, I think it does end and start with money. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, it, I mean, it's kind of sad that it's the fact that it keeps it coming up, you know. Um, and I guess, you know, when you talk about imagination, it's, I wonder if it's important too to imagine beyond that capitalist paradigm, you yeah. know, like even though it feels, feels a bit of a waste of time when we're in a situation where, you know, most artists can't even pay their rent, but... Um, maybe those are models that we can sort of start working with them because I think, mm. you know, like we've already sort of mentioned, we we often do create our own models and we are looking out for each other exactly. and we are doing it in our own way. I wonder if there's sort of more in that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What are your thoughts on, both of you, the artist income? Because I was in New York recently and I heard Sharon Barry talk, who was the woman who designed the artist income in Ireland. Yeah, sick. And she, that was really interesting because as positive and kind of utopian as it sounds, and it is amazing because it's non-conditional, these artists, right, register, they get the money and it's unconditional. There's no reporting back. There's no application. There's no, like, they don't have to fill out forms and talk about how they're going or anything like that. Um But then also because it is still a capitalist model and it's in Ireland, right, which is super steeped in, like, politics, a lot of people were like, that's fucked up. I'll be state-controlled if I participate in a model like that. So it's just kind of interesting to go, well, if we don't um, offer those sorts of models, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think about the artist income? I, I would love to see that, just a prototype even, yeah. of what that could potentially look like for our sector here. Mm. Because I think if that was just one of the things that you're not having to consciously worry about on your plate is like, how do I get to work? How do I pay my rent? How do I feed my kids? Which is concerns for everyone, whether you're in the sector or not. Like, I think those are just, totally. as we all kind of, you know, navigate this capitalist environment that we all navigate, those are concerns for everyone. But imagine the kind of art that mm. we would have come out of that if artists were held and cared for and resourced well just to be able to dream. And what would that look like? Which I think is so exciting to even consider. Because we see what our artists do out of scarcity that I'm like, imagine if these people were well-resourced, what totally. would you make? 
Totally. Yeah. And I think that when I was coming up, like the doll, that's what the doll was, you know, you yeah. just, and the sickness benefit, you know, I mean, that's what I use them for because you need time, right? And you can't do that if you're, you know, working the whole time. Like it just sucks whatever part of your brain is creative. Totally. It just kills it, you totally. know, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that would be amazing and, and obviously it would have its issues, but, you know, what we have now is certainly not working, so it would be better than that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is an exciting thing to ponder, right? Like, what would that look like for our artists and if they were supported? And maybe is there space and room to prototype something that could look like that for our sector? Mm. I'd be keen. <laughs> totally. Same. Yeah, I mean, I think the issue you'd have here is I, I reckon they'd try and means test it and it would be fuck all, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, if you, I mean, if you get it, like you say, it's just everyone can get it and it's a livable amount even if it was just for a set period of time and you know what I mean like that would be massive you know like if you just had a year or two like that would be the difference between you know sort of starting out to like getting yourself to like okay I'm I know what I'm doing now you know I can I can create and have a career totally is resource something that keeps resurfacing for, I mean, I'd imagine it would be, but I'm just going to ask this anyway, mm. for the artists that are engaging in the dam kaupapa? Is it kind of something that is quite continual with the conversations that you're having with your artists? I think so, from what I can pick up, definitely. Um, and we've, we're going to do a couple of... Um, a couple of workshops over the next wee while, the next couple of months, to kind of key into the what's happening with council. Awesome. Right? So so resource will be a big kind of focus around the actual, let, let's actually write it down. Let's actually, you know, name the, re, the particular resources that we need and let's budget it and let's kind of... Um, yeah, draw everything up. So we're still not talking about resources in abstract terms, you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah. that we can really have great examples to go back to council with. Thinking about that, <laughs> picking up on that, Kat. So, uh, yeah, how will Dan respond to the proposed budget cuts that council are proposing? And what do you think that impacts of that could potentially mean for our artists in the region hmm. yeah I mean I would definitely like to the issue is that um, unfortunately because everyone's artists or works in the arts and we have to have a million jobs just to survive it's just really hard to get together but yeah. I think um, yeah there's definitely talk about that and ideas and stuff and I mean I think just turning up to the council meeting just getting as many artists to turn up to that as possible and scare them you we know. want to do some creative interventions. Yeah, so, awesome. Yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal. But if everyone can find the time. Um, the other part of your question was around, um, what was it? And the impact of these potential The impact cuts. of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which, uh, yeah, the impact of, of these potential cuts is going to be quick, blunt and hard. And it's going to be felt across many levels and layers of the sector. Yeah. Um, so, and it's, and, and when organisations are impacted, it's going to trickle down. Yeah. So, for example, at Basement, we get a really significant portion of funding through these grants that have a direct 
connection to, to our artists, essentially our development programs, right? Yeah. That, um, that like our residencies and things like that, some of them are directly funded by that money. Um, and again, not to be the guy who mentions recent time in New York <laughs> constantly, <laughs> but truly it was pretty inspiring. And I think that um, the main kind of corridor coming out was um, the importance of not taking artists away from their tools at this time, that like how crucial it is for artists to be at their tools and to not be kind of expected to, I think in, in Aotearoa we're, trying to capability build our artists at the mm -hmm. moment and we're mm -hmm. trying to turn them into administrators because we have this kind of idea that that artists need to be little business dudes to be able to get the funding Ooh. but actually what we need to do is just chill out on the funding requirements um and so yeah so just a, a massive global corridor around um keeping artists in their studios right now, right? And we can't do that without the funding that we get in Tāmaki through the, the, through the council. We, we can't do that. We can't support our artists to stay at their tools. No, and I think, yeah, just picking up on that, Kat, I think the um, potential impact, well, we know the potential impact because we also know how our artists are... Um, they're healers. They are healers. And they are people who who are, really have the role, I think, of like being in service of community a lot of the time. And just mm. speaking from my own arts practice, which is, you know, a collective social practice, and seeing how transformative being able to offer community space and offer work that speaks to them in a very um, personal, deep way, that if you take that away, if you take artists' ability away to just be able to make and the resource to do that, the flow-on effects to our community are really devastating. And I don't say that frivolously, like I think the potential impacts to community are quite heartbreaking actually when I've looked over what's being proposed by this council and um, really concerning actually of how that will not just impact our artists and our sector but Auckland the receivers of it, yeah, totally, in a really, really big way. Yeah, mm. it's it's medicine, um, you know. It's it's that's what I that's why I'm trying. That's kind of how I'm reframing it at the moment in my mind. Of like, if we take away the medicine <laughs> on a really big scale like that, what is the the impact on people's wellness. Absolutely. And I think now more than ever, as we're continuing to navigate COVID and recovery for the um, climate change activity across the region and across the North, North Island as well, which has been really in the centre of my thoughts recently, what does that mean? Like if you if you are having people really going through it and then you're taking away the thing that can help ease some of that, what what is going to happen to people? Like how will that affect everybody? What are we meant to look at in Auckland? Road cones? Well, it's not out of the question, I think, that they will make Auckland a completely non-creative city because it's already well on the way. Like as an artist, you can't live in a central city. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. they've, they've made that a void of creativity. Yeah. And, you know, with these cuts and, and everything else, it's sort of, yeah, it's not. I mean, 
there was that um, article in The Guardian recently about how, I think it's in The Guardian, they're talking about London and how it's just like, just there's no creatives left in the city. You know what I mean? They're all gone. And it's such a creative space, you know, so it's sort of, I think that, not to be alarmist, but I think that is a possibility if, if these people aren't stopped, you know? Yeah, it's, but just to pick up on that, Dom, that was a conversation I was having with a um, with a fellow artist recently around how gentrification in our CBD has really affected our creatives and our creative sector and the flow and effects of that as well because things, once again, access, there aren't accessible spaces really to be able to make or actually present really in the CBD and I think that's one of the things that's quite scary about these potential cuts as well as you go well if if you're not going to be able to have that funding there to um, soften the blow onto artists well then they're going to have to absorb that and for a lot of our artists they just won't be able to so it means less work again which is not a great thought. I, I, I say this all the time but I do not know how young people can be artists in this city. Do you know what I mean? Because it was so hard, you know, 25 years or whatever ago when I was coming up. And then now it's just so much harder, you know, like the rent is insane, like the cost of living is insane. There's no there's no space. I mean, like even 10 years ago on K Road, there were like four or five artist spaces and now there's none that I know of, you know? So I think that's, yeah, it must be really difficult and really feeling for those people, you know? Yeah. Well, I would really like just to shift our gaze slightly because I, I know that, you know, like most of these conversations when we think about resource and stuff in our sector, it can feel really heavy because it is heavy. That's the reality mm. of it. But I think I would like to just lift our gaze a little bit and speaking to that imagination and what you are hoping to achieve with DAM, what, what is your hope for DAM? What is like your big hope that that will um, create, I suppose, for our sector if we were to look inward and creating a space for our artists to be cared for? What does that look like for you both? I think like everyone has sort of, everyone in DAM, and I think that's what the strength of it is, we all have quite different ideas about that, you know what I mean? But I think the core one um, is really making it, like Kate was saying, sort of fun and, and, and exciting as well to push back. You know, so having um, activations and having um, protests and having those things. For me, I would really love for um, people that I know, you know, outside of the sort of um, mm. general arts community mm. to come in and, and to feel welcome. Because I think mm. in general they probably are welcome. It's, it's just how they feel. Mm. And to have all these creative people together. And I think if we could achieve that, which is a lofty dream, I think we'd be really unstoppable, mm. you know. Mm. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think for me, I totally agree with everything that Dom is saying. And also, I quite like the idea of of DAM as a platform for artists to be able to grow a practice of activism and grow and cultivate um, capabilities as, resi as as resistors yeah. uh, and and actually artists do that naturally all the time but but when we identify it and claim it it can be quite powerful um, because I always say this and I've said this several times but I really believe that artists need to be at the front of sector resistance um, and also I think 
it's important for people to be able to kind of hurt together mm. and and um, heal together because often I think artists are just expected to put up with um, systems that are broken and have been for a while. So this kind of idea that people can come into the fold of DAM um, and collectively be part of imagining the future for our sector. Yeah. Well, I have one last question, actually. I've decided that was meant to be my last question, but I want to ask one more. So <laughs> thinking about that, thinking about using imagination to dream up the potential for something completely different, what what would that look like to you, Dom? And you're like dreamy, dreamy, future-focused visioning what what would our sector look like do you think what would the environment look like to you in the future what are you thriving or moving towards i think like having subsidized or completely free art spaces like everywhere do you know what i mean and i think and this is going to sound off topic but i think having a proper functioning public transport system because then people from south can come to central people from north west wherever it's not, you know, like it's not a hassle like in Berlin or New York or whatever. You can, if you live on the other side of town, it's not like you're not going to work with an artist on the other side, right? But here that's the issue because you can't get anywhere, especially if you're broke. So I think, you know, just, and again, just bringing people together, you know, because I've been lucky enough to move through a lot of different creative communities. And, and it's like, that's what's really inspired me and, and made my practice, I think, unique. And But so it'd be awesome if we could just have that across the board, you know, whether that's in Tarmac or out there or overseas, whatever, you know? Yeah, I love that. What about you, Kat? Uh, what's, my, what, what's the future? Yeah, what does it, it look what, like? What does it look like when you imagine or what you <laughs> hope it to look like? What does that look like to you? Yeah. Um, it's starting to happen a little bit. Um, just multiplicity. So kind of once our systems are kind of dismantled a little bit. Hmm. Um, it's exciting to me to think about way more localised art making and, and smaller, um, more grassroots uh, art being made like it used to be when Dom and I were young, you know. It's actually kind of, kind of going back to a time where it was way easier to kind of just make a little thing here and there, you know, with your mates and just kind of rather than there being like, three major festivals that happen, you know, in, in New Zealand per year. Why don't we have 20 little festivals um, that can be kind of run by artists who are leading it and creating this shit on their own terms in their backyards, in their marae, you know, in their local communities, at their auntie's house. Um, yeah, smaller, localised um, multiplicitous kind of um, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love these ideas. Yes, that's what I want too. <laughs> she can, can you see it? Can Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both for um, taking the time to have this corridor with me. And I hope whoever arrives at this conversation really like listens to that. Thank so you thank for you. having us. Yeah, it's been awesome. And Chili's been so well behaved. So well behaved. I forgot he was here. (laughs) 
Thanks so much for listening to Creative Capital, brought to you by Te Taumata Toya Iwi. You can learn more about our mahi at www.tetaumatatoyaiwi.org.nz. Please also get in touch with any feedback or ideas for the series too. Namahinoe.